Turn our Bibles to Exodus in chapter 5 this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity and the blessing and the privilege that it is in our country and uh, where we can meet and we can study your word, we can be encouraged by one another, we can pray for one another, uh, we can meet one another's needs, um, uh, but all of this, Lord, uh, it's meant to glorify you. And so, Father, um, we come expectantly to your word this morning. And we pray uh, you know the things we come in with, the burdens that we're bearing, uh, the frustrations, uh, even some of the stuff we're just really excited about. We're just grateful to you. So we give you the first fruit of our lips, our praises. And then at the same time, Lord, we give you our attention and ask that you would teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've titled my message this morning, (laughs) When Things Gets Hard... (laughs) obey anyway. And I actually figured out last night that uh, I put when things gets hard. And I decided to leave it because I probably would say it that way. But in Exodus chapter 5, I want to remind you that um, the nation of Israel is going through birth pangs. It's experiencing uh, hardship and literal labor. And it's getting ready to become no longer just a family, but a nation But until it uh, is released from slavery, it's just kept under the burden of Egypt. Egypt has made them their slaves. They're they're building buildings and they're keeping them busy. And in the meantime, uh, they have no way to get out. They have no, no one to deliver them. And so Moses has been told by God uh, through a burning bush, I want you to go in and I want you to bring my people out. I want you to speak to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. I want you to speak on my behalf. And so uh, Moses has done just this. In chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. You remember they have this arrangement where Moses said, I'm not a good speaker. Um, And God says, I'll send Aaron You can hear from me and then tell Aaron what he's supposed to say. So Aaron is speaking the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And then he did the signs in the sight of the people. And so the people, hearing the words and seeing the signs, they believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads in worship. They were thankful. They said, wow, God knows what we're experiencing right now, and he's personally getting involved. And so they worship. So all of these things that they just did were simply obeying what God told them to do, step-by-step instructions. But then in chapter 5, it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? 
Give back to your labor. Now, when I first read this passage, I saw that it says, Pharaoh said, and then I saw that it said, then the king of Egypt said. Uh, But after further digging, what I realized is that these names, these titles, are like what we would call commander-in-chief or president. It's different terms for the same leader. And so let there not be any confusion there. But then verse 5 says, Pharaoh said, Look, the people look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them less fr- rest from their labor. Not less from their labor. Rest from their labor. So verse 1, Moses and Aaron obediently speak to Pharaoh. And this was no small task. They're speaking to not just the sovereign Lord, the, the king. They're speaking to someone who they believed in the Egyptian culture was God. The Pharaoh wasn't just a ruler or a leader or a lord or a master. He was to be a descendant of the sun god. And so when they would worship, they would actually worship the Pharaoh. So to question what he says and to ask him to do something different wasn't even in their vernacular. You know, we beseech the Lord, we pray to him, we intercede, and we ask for him to move, right? We pray. And we kind of take that for granted. But all the other gods that ever existed, no one tells them what to do. No one asks them to change what they're doing or what they seem to be doing. This is a special thing in Christianity. God invites us to get involved in his work. He invites us to, to converse with him about the things that he's doing. And so the first question the Pharaoh has for Moses and Aaron is, who is the Lord? And it's the same question, by the way, that the scribes and Pharisees asked Jesus. Hey, we notice that you're telling people to do things. You're forgiving sins. You're telling a lame man to take up his bed and walk on a day that's the Sabbath. No works to be done. You're healing people. Who gives you the authority to do this? Now, I don't know about you, but if I see someone get healed of leprosy or that was lame and start walking... I want to know who he is, but I'm not asking who gives you the authority. I just want to know who he is. But the scribes and the Pharisees say, who are you? Just like the Pharaoh is saying, who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him? Why should I obey his voice? I'm God. That's what he's saying here. And and many times I want to point this out. God tells us to do things and we say the same thing. Maybe we wouldn't word it the same way. Who are you to order me around? Because really, whether we would say it this way or not, we've made ourselves our own God of our own lives. We've made ourselves to be, I'm in charge of me. I get to do me. Well, that's not biblical, by the way, for Christians. Uh, We're meant to do the will of the Father. We're meant to obey Him and Him alone. He's our sovereign. And He, unlike the Pharaoh, is actually God. And so to subservient, to make ourselves subservient to him is actually to obey him, to honor him, to glorify him. And so Moses asked also the same question, who's the Lord? If you remember in chapter 3, verse 13, he had said first, before chapter or verse 13, he said, who am I that I should serve the living God, that I should go and speak to Pharaoh? But his second question was, who are you? When they ask me who sent me, who should I tell them that you are? And so God gave him an answer, and he's going to give Pharaoh an answer, by the way. But in verse 3, Moses attempts to tell him, uh, well, he's the God of the Hebrews, and he's met with us, 
Now, he didn't go into the details, and he's told us to come to you and speak. That's all Moses can say. He's my God, I'm following him, and he told me to say these things, and so I am. So Pharaoh says in verse 4, if you were working harder, then you wouldn't have time to come up with these excuses. You wouldn't have time to come up with this nonsense. But what's interesting is in verse 5, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you're making them rest from their labor. This is costing me money, he might say. Well, it sounds really familiar because in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, at the very inception of this writing, we have what says is that the children of Israel had dwelled in Egypt, and they were there because Joseph had delivered them from a famine to live in the land of Egypt for a time. But it says in verse 7, the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Good news for the Israelites, right? They're propagating, they're fruitful, they're multiplying. But to Egypt, this is a threat. It's a threat to their nationality. It's a threat to their well-being. And so verse 8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and then fight against us and so go up out of the land. And so they're not just worried that the people of Israel will get a break. They're worried that they'll lose productivity, number one, uh, that their buildings won't get built as quickly, but also that the people of Israel will start to become stronger than them, and they'll cease to be a nation, and the Israelites will take over. So they're trying to preserve themselves. So in verse 6 through 9, he continues... And says, the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, no longer give the people straw to make brick as they did before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. Do not reduce it, for they are idle, and therefore they cry out, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on them that they may labor in it and let them not regard any more false words. So Pharaoh's response to the demand of Moses and Aaron is, uh, you know what? They've got too much time on their hands. Why don't you give them more work to do? We're making it easy on them. Now you might say, why do they need straw to make brick? Well, if you're familiar with the concrete process, when you pour a concrete slab, you put rebar in it. And so this is their version of rebar. And you might say, what is rebar for? I've never done concrete. I'm glad you asked. When you pour concrete and you make a slab of it, if you put down pressure on it, or if you squeeze it in any sort of manner, it, it holds up. It will push back against you. It's, it's sturdy. But if you try to pull on concrete or if there's any sort of strain from the building that it's a part of. When you pull on it, it, it breaks under tensile pressure, when there's tension. 
And so in order to make it stronger, they put rebar in there that reinforces it. So when you pull on it, it doesn't pull on the concrete itself. It pulls on the rebar that's built inside of it. So in this case, they're making bricks from clay. And if there's anything you know about clay is that when it gets hard, it gets brittle just like concrete. And so they would put straw inside of the bricks and it would form an extra strength that the concrete wouldn't have on its own or the clay. And so that's how they would make their buildings. And so, you know what? Instead of us supplying you straw, the Pharaoh might say, he says, you have to go get your own. And and we're going to require the same amount of bricks, even though we're giving you less resources to build them. He's trying to get them no longer to congregate and make bricks, but instead have to send out different people to go and get the straw. And in doing so, he's dividing them. And if you know anything about nations or people groups, that if you can keep them scattered and disconnected from one another, (laughs) they'll start to lose their unity. And so there's going to be a contingent going to get stubble and hay. There's going to be a contingent over here. And then this smaller group is going to be the ones making the bricks. So he says they're not busy enough. They need more work to do. We'll do less. We'll require them to do more. Verse 10. So the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says the Pharaoh, just like we might read in the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord. This was to them as if God had spoken. Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. Why were they gathering stubble instead of straw? Well, they had already harvested the straw. It was already cut down. It had not yet grown back. And so do you think they're going to give them the straw that they already cut or make them go cut their own? They're going to make them go cut their own. So they're going to the fields that have something left growing in them, trying to look and glean for some things so that they can put straw in them. And so the taskmasters forced them to hurry saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today as before? He wants them to be so focused on their labor, so focused on meeting deadlines, so focused on producing that they forget whose they are that they forget their identity, that they forget that God's trying to deliver them. And and this is often the, the thing that God does when he's trying to deliver you from your circumstances or show you that there's hope outside of the daily grind. And I know many of you, when you get in the daily grind, it's easy to forget whose you are and who has promised to give you freedom in Christ while you now live and labor. He wants you to be scattered. He wants you to be away from people that are like-minded. He wants you to be discouraged and so focused on your task that you forget who you really are serving. We serve the Lord. We don't serve Pharaoh. Many of you might feel like you have a boss that's like Pharaoh. Get more done with less resources. 
No, you're not getting a raise, but you've got to accomplish these three things instead of two or one. That's how the world works. That's how it goes. That's not how Jesus works. He doesn't scatter us in order to produce more. What he does is he brings us together in order to strengthen us so that when we are scattered, we're encouraged by those we've been gathered with. So the taskmasters, verse 10 and 11, they make the announcement. The announcement, produce the same amount with less given to you. The people were scattered to gather. The overseers of the people were beaten if their people didn't fulfill their quotas. Now, wait a minute. Is Pharaoh having his own employees beaten? No. See, the Pharaoh is like the CEO. And then the taskmasters, the ones doing the beating, are like the vice presidents. And then below them, you got middle management. And they are all trying to be, they want to be VPs one day. And so they're all about getting the quota. They're all about getting the bottom line done. But then the overseers are actually Hebrews that are made group leaders over their brethren. And they're the ones meant to go, hey guys, we got to get this done. Otherwise, I'm going to get a beating. And so they're very motivated to get their people to work. And their people want to protect their brother, who is their taskmaster, their overseer. So all that to say, there's a lot of bureaucracy involved. But at the end of the line, the main goal of the world is to scatter the people of God so that they will get their stuff done and forget whose they are and keep them under their thumb. But Jesus does the opposite. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's why, by the way, God calls us to Sabbath. Sabbath Sabbath wasn't made for the man, but, excuse me, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. It's not just a rule. It's meant to be a blessing. When you take a day a week and say, I'm not going to labor, what you do is, yes, you do lose a day of productivity, but you make those other six days much more fruitful because you're working from a place of rest. And you might say, that's great, but you don't know my schedule and it's not really feasible. And I will say to you, you're probably right. The world is demanding things from you. The world is forcing you to do some stuff. And in some ways, you're just caving easily. But what I would say is, maybe you can't take a Sunday and not work. Maybe you can't take a Wednesday and not work. But find time within the schedule that you're in. We all work for somebody. And find a place to force yourself to not labor so that you'll be able to receive that blessing of rest. It's, it's regular maintenance. It's something that's meant to be a blessing, not a burden. And so all that to say, verse 15 through 19, the leaders of Israel begin to appeal not to their taskmasters, not to Moses and Aaron, but to Pharaoh. They take it straight to the head. They go, do you know what's going on here? They're asking us to make bricks, but they're not giving us the things we need. Verse 15, the officers of the children of Israel came and they cried out to Pharaoh saying, why are you dealing like this with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants and they make us make brick. And indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is not ours. 
It's actually our taskmasters. Your middle management isn't giving us the supplies we need. And they're going to find out that it wasn't middle management, that this is straight from the top. Pharaoh says, you are idle. You're idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. You're not busy enough, and so you're coming up with religious excuses to not have to work. That's what you're doing. It has nothing to do with God. You're just lazy. And you're coming up with ways to avoid doing your job. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And when they heard it, the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce your quota. And so the Israelite overseers, the middle management, cried out to Pharaoh, this is unreasonable. And the Pharaoh responded and said, no, it's not unreasonable. You're just lazy. So you're coming up with excuses, religious excuses even. And the overseers realized that the Pharaoh had made this call. Uh, They were kind of overwhelmed. So with that being said, they leave this meeting. And what are they going to do? Well, they're going to go to the one who made the change because everything was fine until Moses and Aaron showed up, right? It was status quo. We do our job. We go home. We sleep. We get up in the morning. it's, It's good, right? But then Moses and Aaron come around, and it says, Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge. Because you, you of all people, have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and now they've put a sword in their hand to kill us. Because you've tried to help, they've not reduced our labor, they've actually increased it. So Moses and Aaron, this is all your fault. That's the Mike Mingi translation. You've made it worse on us. You said you were going to come and get us out of slavery, and instead they've made it harder on us. Because you said, let my people go, they want to work us until we die. They're trying to flex their muscles on us. And by the way, it's working. Uh, Stop trying to help us, Moses and Aaron. It was easier before you came to help. But remember, in the context of what's going on, God's plan in all of this was what? Deliver the Israelites from the slavery of Egypt. That's his plan. And the Israelites readily received this, didn't they? They worshiped the Lord. They were like, oh, thank the Lord. He's noticed what we're going through. He knows our affliction. He's personally involved. He's sending us a deliverer. We're on board. Sign us up. As long as it's easy. As long as it doesn't get uncomfortable, deliver me. And by the way, many times people receive the gospel thinking, As long as it's easy, I'm in. Who doesn't want their ticket punched to heaven? Eternal glory. Eternal resting place. I want that. But what happens is we receive that peace without the bad news. In order to live that way, it's going to get harder for you before it gets better. It's it's going to be harder to swim upstream from the culture than if we just get it all of our blessings right now. Israel's plan is to be on board as long as it remains comfortable. Uh, 
So I want you to take note of what Moses does here. Moses hears the complaining. And this is the first of many times he will have to deal with the complaining of the Israelites. He's going to spend his whole life listening to complaining. And this time he does the right thing. He hears the complaining and he goes to the one who sent him and says, Lord, what's going on here? Verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord. He didn't lash out at the people. He goes to the Lord who sent him. He says, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you've sent me? For since I have come to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to the people. And at the same time, the thing you sent me to do was to deliver the people. He says, neither have you delivered your people at all. You sent me to deliver them. I've spoken. I've done all the things you've told me. And instead, it's getting worse for them. And now they hate me. They hate me for being obedient. Moses, under pressure, goes to the one who sent him. And he says, what you sent me to do has made it worse for the people you said you love. Why does it seem that when I obey, things get harder and more complicated? Have you ever asked the Lord that? Why, when I obey, it actually gets harder for me, not easier? Isn't this supposed to be like a light switch? I flip the switch, I obey God, and blessings just overflow. Rainbows and unicorns. Here we go. Living my best life now. That's never been given to us in the, in the Bible. God never promised that if we obeyed physically and, and emotionally and financially and relationally that things would get better. He never promised that. And if you read the Old Testament, look at all the prophets, starting with Moses, and you see when they were the most obedient, it was the hardest. Why is that? Well, because they're obeying God. And the more a culture goes towards obeying themselves and living for themselves and living for comfort and, and doing what everyone else does, the harder it becomes for the servant of God because we're walking in direct opposition to what the world does. So, my words of encouragement to you this morning. It might get worse before it gets better. There you go. You got up on a Sunday morning to hear that. If you're obeying God, it, it, it's more than likely going to get worse before it gets better. But, but, after it gets worse, it will get better. Maybe not this side of heaven. More than likely, not this side of heaven. If I'm doing God's will, why isn't it working? That's the question, right? Because we're pragmatists. If something works and produces the results that I want, then it must be God's will, right? Wrong. (laughs) If I'm doing God's will, why isn't it working? And I would say to you, just because it's hard or not resulting the way you thought it would doesn't mean that God isn't working. It doesn't mean that God's will is not getting done. Yeah, I hear it too. It's not mine. Mine doesn't have one of those. If you want to seal my stuff, you can have it. It barely even locks. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, the one who wrote most of the New Testament, wrote this as his dying letter to his disciple, Timothy. 
to encourage him, by the way. And the first part won't be encouraging. But he wrote it to encourage him. He said, Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. They will love money. They will be boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. They will not have self-control. They will be brutal. They will despise what is good. They will be traitors. They will be headstrong, haughty. They will love pleasure rather than love God. They will have a form of godliness. They'll be religious, in other words, but they will deny the power of God. He says, from such people, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then down in verse 10, he says, But you have carefully followed my teaching, my doctrine. You followed my manner of life, my purpose, faith and long-suffering, love and perseverance. You've carefully followed my persecutions, my afflictions. So the Apostle Paul in the New Testament is probably one of the most clear pictures of what a life looks that's abandoned to exhausting himself and the purposes of God. And yet he suffered persecution. He was afflicted physically. And then he says, you witnessed these things that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. I had to bear up under the strains of this life. He says, and yet, out of all of these things that I just listed, the Lord delivered me from them all. Now, he's saying the Lord already delivered me, past tense, from all these things while sitting in a stinking prison. He's saying the Lord's already delivered me. And yet right now I'm experiencing affliction and persecution, and yet I'm already delivered. What does that mean? Paul had the faith to believe that even if he was in prison and he died there or was martyred there, his deliverance had already come. Did you know you can be in prison and still be free? Did you know that you can be in the midst of circumstances that are terrible and yet still live in hope because of what Christ has done for you? That eternity has been promised to you? That there's eternal rewards that, that are worth living for? It may not feel like it in the day-to-day. But God has called us to live in deliverance, even though we've not yet physically been delivered, that we can live in hope. And so, going with the flow, by the way, is easier temporarily than swimming against the culture. It is. People don't hate you, people don't disagree with you. You can be cool, you're not weird to your friends. But, that's a big butt. And in first service, I said, no giggling when I say big butt. And then people giggled anyway, so go ahead. But going with the flow also has consequences. Number one, you stay a slave. If you go with the flow, you can do that. You'll get yours in this life, YOLO. But you'll still be a slave to sin. And slaves are not sons of God. That's what the Bible teaches. 1 John chapter 2. 
The Apostle John talks about what, we, what enslaves us. First John chapter 2, verse 15. John writes this. He says, do not love the world. Because if you love the world, it can enslave you. Do not love the things in the world for the same reason. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires or the lusts of the flesh, the desires that the eyes have, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. So the things that you desire the most, the things that you love the most, if they're of the world, they, they will be taken from you. They're temporary. But he says, he who does the will of God will abide forever. That's eternal life. And then, so you stay a slave if you go with the flow, but then slaves are not sons. Galatians in chapter uh, 4. Romans. And then First and Second Corinthians. I lost my place. I was going to tell you all those, but you get it. Philippians, Colossians, you've gone too far. Go back to Ephesians, and then right before Ephesians is Galatians. I was not raised with Bible drill, as you can tell. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul writes to the Galatian church and says, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, he was Jewish. To redeem those who were under the law. What does redeem mean? It means to buy someone back from slavery. So to redeem someone means you pay the price to buy them out of slavery. So he came to redeem those who were under the law. What does the law say? It says, do these things and you live. But what happens if I can't do these things? I perish. I'm judged by the law that's meant to be a blessing because I cannot fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. So Jesus shows up. He lives the law to the letter, every jot, every tittle, or in our vernacular, every I dotted, every T crossed. He fulfilled it all. And then because he fulfilled it all, he redeems us by paying the price for our sin. He dies for sin he never committed for your and I sin. When he was murdered on the cross, it was to atone for yours and my sin. So we're bought back. We no longer have to be slaves. The price for our sin has been paid. We're set free. And so because of that, at just the right time, He came back to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Most of us have never had to experience needing to be adopted to be cared for. But if you've ever had a parent missing and someone's adopted you as their child and has taken you under their wing and has ministered to you in ways that that only a parent can, you know what it means. They look to you as if you're their own. And they're blessed by that. 
But this is God saying that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters of not just anybody, but of God, with all the resources we need. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, that's the Holy Spirit, as a gift into your life, into your heart. And now, because his spirit resides within you, you have this desire to cry out and say, Abba, Father. Abba, in the Jewish culture, is like someone saying, Daddy. So we get to call God Dad. That's that's an amazing gift. And therefore, verse 7, you are no longer a slave. This is good news to us that used to be slaves to sin. Maybe there's somebody in here today that's still a slave to sin. You know that, and you don't know what to do about it. Therefore, if you are in Christ, you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if you're a son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. Everything that God has afforded to Jesus Christ because of his obedience, because he's his son, guess what? We partake in the same inheritance. The riches and the vastness of the blessing because we are under the headship of Jesus Christ is unfathomable on this side of heaven. So, all that to say, it might get worse before it gets better. If you want to serve the Lord, it might get worse for you than it was when you were just going with the flow. But after it gets worse, even if it doesn't get better in this life, it will be unimaginably better eternally. So, with that being said, all the bad news that we just received from Exodus chapter 5, Moses says, you haven't even delivered them yet. It's getting worse for them. And in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now that you've come to the end of yourself, Moses, now that you realize just speaking to Pharaoh one time won't deliver them, now that you've seen the, the frustration in the people that you're trying to serve, now you shall see what I will do. You've seen what you can't do? Now you're going to see what I will do. And so he says, For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. So, no, he hasn't let them go yet, but by the time I'm done with them, not only will he let them go, he'll kick them out and say, Go, I can't stand you anymore. He'll send them out at his own volition. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not yet known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of the pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant." I want to take a moment here to say something about Old versus New Testament. The promises that God made to Israel were primarily physical and outward. Their blessing for obedience was many times rain for their crops, financial blessing. For us as believers in the New Testament, the blessings are still there, but they are primarily inward and spiritual. This doesn't mean that God won't bless us physically, but he has not made a covenant to make us wealthy and physically blessed. He he doesn't owe any of that to us. 
But what we see is in the Old Testament that as God has provided financially and through crops and through physical blessings in the land, all of those blessings are theirs. And if he was physical to Israel, then he will physically blessing and faithful to Israel, he also will remain faithful to us. And you might say, well, Israel was kind of disobedient a lot. And I would say to you, yes, they were. But if, as God has remained faithful to them, even in their disobedience, it encourages me that if I have a bad day, he, he's not going to leave me or forsake me just the same. And so all that to say, verse 6 through 8 God is now going to make seven I will statements to Israel. And he begins his statements with, I am the Lord. And then at the end of it, he says, I am the Lord. He's signing his name to these declarations. Verse 6, therefore, in light of this covenant I've made with them, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue from their bondage. I will redeem you, there's that word again, with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people. I will be your God, and then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And for centuries... You'll read the Psalms and you'll be like, what is this? And all of a sudden they're referring back to when God delivered them. But they didn't have those songs yet because they hadn't yet seen it. And yet for centuries after that, they would sing, O Lord, who delivered us from Egypt and brought us through the Red Sea. They would praise his name for all of his previous works. And it would be a reminder to them that he was faithful to us in the past. He'll be faithful to us in the future. And so he says, I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. And so Moses just has to repeat this to the people, right? He's just the messenger, that's all. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. But guess what? They did not heed Moses. They didn't listen to him. This group that was like, oh, praise the Lord. He knows what's going on. He's going to deliver us. Now that they're experiencing anguish of spirit and cruel bondage, Moses speaks, but they don't listen. Moses speaks, but they can't hear the message of hope. Why? Because many times, suffering can hinder us from hearing God's voice. Pain can hinder us from hearing things clearly and seeing things from the the Lord's perspective because our, our circumstances many times become bigger than our God even though they're not. And sometimes suffering and pain tempt us to ignore God's word. Simply, we won't listen. It's not going the way I thought it would, so I can't take it. But I want to tell you, here's what God tells Moses. I did send you. This is my plan. I know it doesn't look like it's going to work, but my ways are not your ways. Therefore, stick to the game plan, Moses. Say what I told you to tell them either. Anyway, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And then Moses has a little rebuttal here. He's like, that sounds great. Uh, But the children of Israel haven't even listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. I'm not holy enough. 
I'm not able to convince them. Verse 13, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron a second time. He gives them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Stick to my plan, even though they won't listen, Moses, because when my plan is fulfilled, you'll know that it was me. It wasn't the will of man. And so, all this to say, think about this. We've been looking at Moses. We've been looking at the children of Israel. We've been looking at all the people and all their responses. But what I want to point out is that when God calls someone to do something, to speak a message, it it many times does get more hard to follow God than to just do my own thing. But there's reward attached to it. And how do I know that? Because Jesus, like Moses, called to be a prophet to the nations, called to be the Savior, the Deliverer. Before it got easier, it got harder. Because when he went to go deliver them, and they would not listen to his words, many did, but many did not. They misunderstood. They thought, if he came to deliver us, why wouldn't it get better right away? Why isn't he going to set up? They thought the Messiah would be a great military leader that would destroy Rome knock down their garrisons, take away the, the land and give it back to the Israelites and set up the nation and, be, and start ruling and reigning right then. But instead, what did he do? He came in, he set up camp, and he started talking about the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of man. And he preached to them deliverance. And they're like, wait a minute, you said you're going to deliver us and now they hate us and they're killing you. Their very deliverer was crucified, he says. But yes, but now here's the good news. Now you're going to see what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver you with an outstretched arm. I'm going to deliver you from your sin with my arms outstretched. And what you thought I was going to deliver, I'm actually going to, instead of taking up my strength and waylaying your enemies, I'm going to stretch out my arms and I'm going to take my strength and I'm going to let them drain my blood out. I'm going to let them brutally beat me. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That's not who you conquer a nation, right? But it is how you conquer sin. I'm going to make atonement for you. And then, no matter who your king is, no matter who your president is, no matter what the law says, no matter if they imprison you because you're obeying me instead of man, you're going to be truly free even though you're not free. You're going to be free in the midst of what seems like bondage, and you're going to bring glory to me because you're going to abound in grace, and you're going to carry yourselves as though you are free, even though you're not. And that's how you're going to glorify me in this life. And so, Father, um, just confess to you that this message this week was really challenging for me because when I'm obeying you, Many times it actually seems harder than if I would just cash in all my chips and go back to the ways of the world. And yet we are not living for this life. We're living for our king. We're living for heaven. And we're living to please the one who paid the debt that set us free and redeemed us from sin. And so, Lord Jesus, forgive me when I doubt your way. Forgive us when we... Uh, We want heaven, but we don't want the cross. 
Lord, the way of the cross is the way to truly be set free. And so we recognize that this morning, but in our unbelief, help us because we don't have the strength to do what you've called us to do. So thank you that that brings us to the end of ourselves and now we get to see what you're going to do instead. Deliver us from our enemies. Deliver us from the things that squash our faith in this life. Set us free from people-pleasing. Set us free from thinking that you meant for this life to be comfortable. Help us to be willing to live and die for the things that you've called us to do so that your son Jesus will be glorified and we'll look more and more like him. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and when it gets hard, you know exactly what it feels like and you're with us in the middle of that moment. Remind us daily that you love us. Thank you for your reminders and thank you for delivering us from the slavery of sin and setting us free to live for you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.